You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello there, welcome back. This is a recording with Sarah Millican, which was episode seven, if you can believe such a thing. So we're talking 10 years ago. But at that stage, Sarah was already well off the blocks as a comedian, performing to huge audiences with her unbounded positivity and incredible mindset. Now, as you know, I'm writing a book at the moment about the uh, the mindset of comedians and how you can use it. And Sarah is coming up time and time again. We're going to hear in this elderly episode from the uh, Comcompendium talk talking about going into a gig with no baggage, um, winning round at least half an audience. We're going to talk about um, not using support, as Sarah did at that time. She has, in fact, just uh, flown to Australia, I believe, with Sally Ann Hayward, fabulous comic, and Sarah's um, uh, frequent support. And we're also going to get into uh, the values of prep, the values of sleep, all-nighters, pasta in a flask, and why she doesn't have material on bricklayers. So <laughs> we're going to get into all of those things. Um, thank you once again uh, for downloading this Comcompendium. We've got a few more coming your way throughout January as I focus on the book and on one or two other things, including the release of my special I Need You Alive, which is going to be a moment on the platform, moment uh, on the 23rd of February at 8pm. We can all watch it together. You can even get a ticket for a live Q&A and an after party with me. So I say live, I mean online but live i'll be there in person and i hope you will too so go to stuartgoldsmith.com to find out more about that here is sarah millican you are very positive Mm. you're really positive you're really like we were talking about dan evans's podcast uh, earlier on we should we should officially (laughs) mention here that you are the first person i'm interviewing who's already heard the show Hooray! Hooray! I win little... some kind of prize. Definitely, definitely. You're a, you can be an ultra goldsmith. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> I was one. just a super. Was it? Was I a super? You were a super goldsmith before, super yeah. Goldsmith. Yeah, and uh, ultra. That, that idea would never have probably been mentioned again had you not excitedly gone, "Yay, I'm a super!" <laughs> but now it lives, and it's your fault. Um, so you, so someone like in a conversation I had with Dan, Dan, as we were saying, whilst being incredibly endearing, has this kind of not quite a darkness or a sadness necessarily, but he has this kind of cheesed off sort of yeah, kind attitude. Of yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think when I speak to him, I kind of go, yeah, I, I, not just when I speak to him. I mean, I also am someone who can be a bit more kind of, God, this is hard. This comedy life, this is, this is a hard thing. This is, oh, this takes a lot of me and all the rest of it. Mm. Whereas you have always, as long as I've known you, 
been so positive and hmm. been a kind of a breath of fresh air in the circuit, but also just one of those people who kind of goes, look at all, look how amazing this is. Well, yeah, but when do you have your sort of more kind of mawkish moments? When are you, is that after a hard gig or is that after you get in and you're, it's three in the morning and you've got to be up at nine and you've driven all night or is, uh, are they, is it after a thing or is it just sometimes it comes over you? Yes, that one. Oh, right, because I, I had the other kind, the other okay. kind after a, a hard gig yes. or after... S- sensible, understandable, yeah. reactive... Yeah, tiredness. but then I have my <laughs> my rule. You know my rule. Should no. I, is it time? Should I tell you my rule? Yeah, go on. Um, this is Millikan's law. Okay, love it. <laughs> I've rather arrogantly called it. Um, uh, this is the if you have a bad gig, mm-hmm. you're only allowed to be annoyed at yourself until eleven a.m. the next day. Okay. I've heard a variation on this, which is uh, wait twenty four hours, have a wank, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> so but that's. Where's it's not mine. I, I wish. If anyone remembers telling me that, write in. Remind me who you were. Why well, did yeah, you have so, to wait twenty four hours before you're allowed a wank? I think you're allowed other wanks. In the, in the, oh, is I that like a, is that like an Uber wank? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's that's, okay. where, that's the final candles. wank. Exactly. It's a posh wank before you go back wank. to being happy again. So okay, so yours is twenty four hours is too long. <laughs> so if you've got a gig the next day, that twenty four hours is too long. So so mine and I made this up and I made this up to help get me over yes. bad gigs and it absolutely one hundred. 100% works uh, so 11 o'clock the next day you have to uh, draw a line under it and get over it mm-hmm. because you're not allowed to, you sort of until then you're allowed to be annoyed at yourself or annoyed at the gig or annoyed at the promoter or annoyed at the audience or just frustrated all of those horrible things that come with a bad gig so 11 o'clock you have to get rid of it um, equally if you have a brilliant gig you have to get rid of it at 11 o'clock as well. Oh, very good. So you can't be smug and uh, think you're like king of the world after 11 o'clock because if you go into your next gig, which could very easily be the next day, um, either thinking you're brilliant or either thinking that you're terrible, you will die either way. Because you go in all Billy Two Dicks um, thinking, sorry, I think I made that up as well. <laughs> it used to be Charlie Big Potato. It's Charlie yeah. Big Potato's where I'm from, yeah. I like Billy Two Dicks. You go in all Billy Two Dicks thinking, I'm going to nail this. You'll yeah, die course, because you're course. not concentrating on the gig. But if you go in thinking, oh, they're all going to hate me, they will because you won't be very good. So you get rid of it all. I've been, but I have been known to get up earlier than planned so I could have a little bit more morning in. Okay, so, <laughs> so you, so you, could, you yeah, could either wallow or champion yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Um, and it absolutely 100% works because you have to get rid of whatever it is and you have to treat every individual gig uh, individually. You have to treat them mm. all uh, on their own as uh, on their own merits and you can't go in with baggage. So that's one thing that I've done to get sort of help get through it. So that sounds to me like you are, you've got what, uh, what is known in this world as willpower, which I think is yeah. something I kind of... I aspire to. I don't, I don't. I don't feel like I've got much willpower at all. I've got kind of a relentless drive to somehow do a thing, but that seems calm and positive and right. This is a sensible way. But if of it's doing a rule, it. yeah. But you've still decided to make it a rule, haven't you? Yeah, but as soon as you tell other people that it's a rule, and other people yeah. like I know a couple of comics who told me that they had told new comics coming up about the rule so if, okay, if new so now, comics yeah. are doing it i mean i'd have you know stuck by it anyway but if new comics are, are sticking by it i can't not yeah good and, o- good and also you know that's that 
uh, oh, nobody would ever know. I would know. Mm-hmm. And it's just really healthy. I think it's really healthy to just go, it's the same as, you know, if any bad thing happens at work, and I think you can quite easily go, okay, we're just going to let it go now. Because mm-hmm. it's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It doesn't make you a good comic if you're hanging around. And it makes you... Um, lose self-confidence and there are enough things in this industry to make you lose self-confidence without one bad gig doing the job for you to hear you say when you've had a bad gig you know when I've had a bad gig Mm. like this do you still have bad gigs you're Sarah Millican off of the telly off of the telly Um, yeah uh, it's 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 different it's not the same kind of bad it's hard I'd say rather than bad Um, but sometimes on a tour show they take a bit of getting going. Mm-hmm. And I would say, because they've paid to see me, it's not like at a comedy gig where you have to get them, you know, grab them in the first sort of couple mm-hmm. of minutes because you're one of a number of comics and they haven't, they don't know anything about you generally. Um, so these people on tour have paid to see me, but I always work out there are probably half of them are like proper fans who have seen me on the telly or have seen me do live stuff before and just like what I do and half of them have been brought yes so that balances out at a sort of generally lukewarm audience because there are some people who I could say hello and they'd go and then other people go oh I don't don't know if I'm going to like this yeah so you have to win half of the audience and it can work against you can't it if some people over enjoy themselves I saw Eddie Izzard in in London Mm. in the West End and he walked out on stage and went uh, uh, hello and people fell about actually laughing mm-hmm. and that made me as a huge lifelong fan of Eddie Izzard that made me kind of go oh mm. well, well you know let him do some stuff yeah but it's oh. just it's adorable it's, it's usually because people have sometimes bought tickets like a year in advance and yeah, they're so they're, they're just the fizzing they're just fizzing sure sure no, I'm, so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be negative about but those people but in terms of the balance it of the can room, sometimes that mess horrible. up with the yeah. um the sort of timing if people mm. laugh at different points and things but but generally I have a lovely time I'm very lucky I have a lovely time because I do slightly ruder version of what I do on the telly I'm not massively different it's ruder and it's more sweary mm. but it's not in style it's not any different to what yeah. I do on the telly so uh, I think people hopefully are satisfied but every now and again there'll be a harder one if it's hard in the first half then I think if I had a support, I never have a support, but if I had a support, mm. that's what they would have done. So yeah. I make out like I'm going on new in the second half. Okay. I don't go like, hello, and like, like I've not met them. Yeah, of course, But I of come course. out thinking, this would be, if I had a support, this would be where they'd be nice now, where a lot of comics actually, who have a support, come out in the second half yeah. when they're already lovely and warm. Yeah. So I come out, I don't, can't ever take the baggage from the first half into the second half. Sure. So I go into the second half thinking, this is where comics to have a support start and nine times out of ten on the harder ones for the first half the second half is lovely because they're warm they've had another drink and blah blah blah. very rare but does it it does happen it's hard all night Mm -hmm. it's not a death i never die like that i think it could at a gig still Mm -hmm. but not at a show where they've where you know i'm on the ticket but it does happen sometimes where it's hard throughout the whole show. But then I still never comment on it. I never do any of those rookie mistakes of saying, oh, that normally gets more, or yeah. oh, you're quite quiet tonight, because they don't know that they, they are just not don't a lively know, audience. They? And yeah. sometimes you realise, that's my stomach rumbling, apologies if you picked that up. Um, sometimes it's because it's Tuesday. Mm. Mm. Like, I remember I did my second Edinburgh show. I was in the Beside at the Pleasance, and 
Mickey Flanagan was in before me. Yeah. Uh, been in after me, sorry. And one of the days, he used to just go, how was it? And I'd go, oh, they're lovely. Or, you know, Monday, and I went, oh, they're really tough today. And he went, it's Wednesday. And I went, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just, because all days blend into one in Edinburgh, you forget that. Friday, they'll be a bit more drunk. Saturday, they'll be lovely. Sunday, they'll be quiet. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they mm. might be a little bit more quiet and then, or a bit more listening, a bit more. So your clever stuff might work a bit better. Mm. And then Thursday, back to drinking. Friday, heavy drinking. It, it still all works as mm. a normal week. But because we're going, what day is it today? It's day 14. Yeah, <laughs> you know? of course. Yeah, we're yeah. not working on the usual week. Yeah. Um, so I can I do still have... Uh, what, sometimes when I try out new stuff, you know, like you said, you did a gig with a... Mm-hmm. somebody did and it, they're often unlisted and the reason people are unlisted and I sometimes go unlisted I'm not like the person that you were on with last night but sometimes when you're unlisted it's better because you don't get like an audience full of my fans in who are yes. just going to laugh at everything yes, I say. Yes. if I'm trying at new stuff I want it to be it's, a bit more of a not discerning is not the wrong way because that sounds like I'm being really mean about my fans and I'm not at all but I want people who are going to go people that you have to win yes yeah and people who will decide whether it's funny or not. And not saying that my fans don't know the difference, but they just already like me and I need yeah. to win well, people What's the difference over. between my brother coming up and telling me a joke and some guy in the street coming exactly, and telling me a joke? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, so that's why you don't go listed. Uh, but sometimes when you're unlisted, you step out mm-hmm. and people will go, oh, or, you know, they hear your name and they get excited, sure. but then there are definitely other people who go, oh, I hate her. That's interesting. Because yeah, they've seen you on the yeah. telly and they wouldn't have... They might not necessarily have booked to come to this gig if they'd known you were on. Sure. I'm well aware that there are people who really hate me, who don't just, you know, and I think hate is a really odd word, but I get, you know, people tell me that they hate me on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. And it's a really odd thing, like nobody, it's, I don't think people are as as mean about actors or musicians or painters. People don't ever go, oh my God, Jackson Pollock, I bloody hate him they mm. just would not bother going to see an exhibition or yes it's it's i think it, it must be to do with the the thing that you as a comic give to people which is that you make them lose control of themselves mm. that currency is so precious and so valuable that if you offer it to someone and say i'm a comedian and then don't make them laugh they hate you yes do you know what i mean they're because like you've but you said you were going to be incredible yes. yeah yeah um so it's kind of worse than just being a crap indie band, isn't it? It's not, you know. Yeah, because it's a bit. It's less offensive to be a crap indie band. Yes, maybe. Yes. I don't Whereas, know. oh no, I think that's right. It feels to that person. It feels offensive. I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. There are comics, um, not ones that I know particularly, but there are comics out there who who I really can't stand. Who are just like, oh, it's you know, you see someone, you might go, oh, this is cheap. It's awful. It's obvious. Mm, all those yes. sort of things. And and then you meet them maybe after a gig and, and you go, oh, no, you're just like me. You're, you're just, just up there person. risking yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. And, but even then, if you watch, I'll watch people and go, it's not my cup of tea. But the audience are laughing and you can't then deny, you can't say that somebody's yeah. not funny. You can just say that it's not your taste. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So, so I can't remember what the question was. What were you talking about? Um, you were saying about... Oh, about, about sometimes struggling. Yes. So sometimes if I come out at a new material night, it can go, it can be hard mm. because there are people who, and I, I, it's that thing of, do they really hate me or am I just looking and reading things into their faces? Um, but I think, and maybe I am, but I think we all do that a little bit, that we look and go, oh, he doesn't like me. Or, like, um, I heard from another comic where sometimes if people lean into each other while they're on, yeah. when chances are they're going, I'm going for a wee in the break. Yes. Or they're going, do you want a gin and tonic? Yeah. Uh, that comic thought that they were saying, isn't he shit? Yeah, of course. And I yeah. think we all have a bit of that. 
where if somebody heckles, you immediately think they're going, you shit, when really they're just going... <coughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, did yeah. you cough there? Do you, did you cough your shit? Do you personally <laughs> have any kind of strategies as to what to think in those situations? Like, Because I imagine the way you seem to operate in the world, when seven years ago, when we did... Uh, oh. So you think so you're funny? So you think you're funny? Ah, oh. um, that was we were, it was a good year. We were a good, a good year. year. There's a lot yeah. of good people from a lot that of year. Good people: Joe Wilkinson and Kevin, Kevin Bridges. Bridges. And Kevin didn't place, did he? No, no, no. Because Joe was Where's third, I was second, and Tom Allen was Tom first. Allen but was thought first. he was third because Julian Carey read the piece of paper upside down. Yes, so I, I sort of felt like I won because I knew the best I could possibly do would be second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the last one that was announced was second. <laughs> there, well, there we go. That's exactly <laughs> my point. Because to come and say, well, I, I felt that I got one because I knew I was second. That's so typical of your mentality. <laughs> I know a lot of the people that listen to this uh, are newer comics mm. and uh, recently I've had a couple of emails and conversations which have expressed um, uh, the the same thing which is it's all very well all these comedians saying and then I turn pro and they're all going but how? How do you do that? So I'm, I'm trying to I, I'm not asking you that okay. question necessarily but I think I'm trying can, to put more like. of a, a Okay then we'll start with that How How did you or how does one turn from being a uh, a comedian who's got a day job to being a comedian who, who can just do comedy. Something that was said to me at the time, which I think is very true, is that it, there's never a comfortable time to make the leap. It's never, you're never, you never got like money in the bank and sure. going, I can pay three months of my bills with it. It's never comfortable. It's always a risk. But it sort of feels, there's a day when it feels right. Prior to that, in order to get to that point, you have to be funny mm-hmm. and you have to work incredibly hard. I worked at, I don't mean working hard, like I know nurses and doctors and firemen work a lot harder than we do. I know that their job is harder. I'm not an idiot, but I do know that this is the hardest I've ever worked in my life. And sometimes, because it, it doesn't feel like work a lot of the time because I love my job. And that's why I'm not very good at taking time off because yeah. it's easy to take time off from a job where you clock in, you clock out and you go, I'll get two weeks off every year. I'm going to go on holiday to Spain. Sure. But if you have a job that you love, it's hard to go, I still need a day off from it. Yeah. It's still, you know. But I used to, some of my peers, I think, were working, were doing sort of one or two gigs a month. And I would do uh, three or four a week. Mm. And I, because I was because I got divorced and moved in with my parents when I started doing stand-up. So my outgoings were quite small, quite mm. low. And I dropped down to 25 hours a week instead of 40 at work so that I could have a bit more flexibility. So my outgoings were like my board to my mum and dad and my phone bill. Mm. So I could spend the rest on train tickets and bus tickets and hotels or more uh, realistically staying on people's sofas and things mm. in the beginning um sometimes treat myself to a travel lodge if i didn't know anybody in that area but I, I slept on so many sofas um so what i did with my diary as well is if i did three gigs in a week i may i put three gigs in a week so if i looked at my diary and i had like four gigs to do that week i would actively get because when you're doing open spots it's easy to get them. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Maybe there's a lot more comics now than there used to I be. Think is that what's cert- coming up? Case, okay. Yeah. Well, in in my day, yeah. back in the day when I was a child, um, it was quite easy because they don't have to pay you. Mm-hmm. They're happy to just you know pad the bill out with people who are learning the trade. So 
I could quite easily get four gigs put in in my diary for further down the line. And I never had anything less than 50 gigs in my diary at any one time. Mm. That's how I worked it. And it really worked because I never look at, you know, I think people look at their diaries sometimes and go, I've got nothing in. Mm. Never happened. Never had anything less than 50. Because if I did three that week, I booked three, three in. But maybe there are more... If Sorry, what, more, what you mean? If you did three that week, you booked three in. Like every time you did one, you'd book another one in for the end of yeah. the. So I look at my diary okay. and say, I've got four gigs in this week. I need to book four gigs um, in the future. For in, the future, yeah, yeah, not I, that I understand. Week. No, no, no. I sorry. Um, okay. um, yeah. So I would email ten people and hopefully get four gigs or whatever off the mm. back of that. And they could be six months down the line. It doesn't matter when they are. It means my diary okay. still has fifty gigs in it, and your diary is never ending. So. That was the trick. I used to go into my day job an hour earlier than I needed to be there and because I didn't have a computer. So I'd go in and I'd just do that kind of, you know, that morning pages that people talk about where yes. they just like a stream of consciousness every yes. morning. So I'd go in at eight, start at nine, didn't clock in till nine, but went in. I had an agreement with my boss that they said I could come in earlier and sat at the computer and just wrote for an hour. And I've still got some of those like printed off. I'd yeah. print it off and deleted obviously off the system and then I would have a look and still uh, some of my very early bankers came from me just rambling because I was going through a divorce I was living back with my parents there was a lot of stuff going on in my head and it was quite a nice release to get it out of my system anyway and then if a joke came off the back of it then brilliant so that was something that I did but I just I worked really really hard I think I think I think comedy throws off the people who if it's like a book, somebody described it once to me like a book on Bronco and it throws yeah. off the people that just don't put the work in. Yeah. Not necessarily the un, the non-funny people. There are people working who aren't particularly funny but work really hard yeah. and make a living off the back of it. And yeah. you know what? Power to them. Because it's harder for them. So I think the, the way you become pro is by showing everybody what you can do but in the process learning how to do it. So you, you nobody's brilliant at the beginning. You might have a natural talent but you don't know how to play every room and I think that's mm. part of the job um, my second gig uh, my first one was pretty good my second one rocked but then probably third and fourth were meh you know mm. and it's not about being it's it's it, it's partly about being funny but it's partly about being able to work any room and being able to make your jokes work in any room I remember when I did the new comedy awards for the BBC Dara O'Brien was comparing and he said what's your like number one ambition and I think some people in might say, I want to get out the telly or mm. I want to be an actress or I want to tour, I want DVDs. Or, and I said, I want to be able to play every room. I wanted to be able to go into a room with four people above a pub that has, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a pool table over there. None of them have paid. They don't really want you and make them piss themselves. Mm. But equally be able to stand on a stage at Hammersmith Apollo and it's sold out and you make them piss themselves. I just want to be able to play any room, any hard rooms, I want to be able to do that. And I think I got I got to that point where I could, I don't know, arrogant to say that I can play every room because I don't think I can, but because I think I came off the circuit as I was learning how to do the really hard ones. Sure. Um, and I don't know, because I don't know, I don't know if I'd be able to go into a hard room now because they, they treat me differently. They're looking at yeah. me like that's that woman off the telly. We love her. We hate her rather than I don't get judged on my just my jokes anymore. I get judged on what their preconceived idea of me is. So sure. I don't know if I'd ever test that again. I don't think I can legitimately. Sure. Unless I changed my face. <laughs> <laughs> that might work. <laughs> Sorry. 
So this is Sarah. Just a brief interruption before we get back to this Comcompendium episode. It's so long ago and uh, she was so, so brilliant even then. Of course, she's continuing to smash it ever since. We will talk a little further about treating yourself well, um, about uh, offending a full room and why that's uh, preferable to offending individuals. Um, And we'll talk about getting prejudged as her off the telly. More from Sarah in just a second. Um, Just a reminder, you can join the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. If you would like to support the show, get hold of ad-free episodes in your own private podcast feed. Join a community which is effectively deep nerd. It's big nerd. Um, So you can join that if you like. And uh, also you will get... What else do you get? Private podcast, ad-free episodes... Oh yeah, all the extras, all the extras from all the episodes that had them. My word, there's a lot of them now. And so go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to support the show and get all of that gubbins. Remember, stuartgoldsmith.com to find out more about I Need You Alive, my brand new comedy special produced by 800 Pound Gorilla and the first non-self-produced DIY special uh, I have ever released. I'm super proud of it. I hope you will join me on the 23rd of February to enjoy that moment. Back to Sarah. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Do you sit down and write for a certain number of hours a week? Did you ever? What I mean, obviously that's we just sort of started to touch yeah, on that yeah. with that early morning thing, yeah. which I think is already a brilliant tip because I certainly, when I had an office job for a, a very little while in my transitional mm. phase, I would try and do the jokes after work. Uh, that's not going to work, is it? I never thought to go in earlier and get all that morning energy and all the rest of it. It's the morningness, but also yeah. it's the fact that you can then sit at job that you feel unused in and. And not that the people that I worked with were lovely and were great, and and um, but f- to feel sort of frustrated and untapped and all of those things that a lot of people feel in a job, but knowing that you've just done an hour of writing, mm. you can sit at a desk for eight hours and answer phones or type or whatever you have to do because you've potentially written a couple of jokes that when you get the metro to the Chillingham Arms like I used to do in uh, in Newcastle, I did it. It was a new material night that Gavin Webster used to run, and I did it seven weeks in a row, and that's how I got from my 10 to my 20. Okay. I did seven minutes, seven weeks in a row, okay. and I sometimes wrote it on the way in, on the metro, and I tried it out. And generally, it would start off with the seven minutes, there'd be um, a minute of gold is cocky, 
yeah. a minute of good stuff yeah. that worked straight away. Mm-hmm. Then there might be three or four minutes of stuff that had potential but wasn't there yet. And then the rest is dirge. Mm-hmm. Um, it got better over the years. Now my I can write 20 minutes of, of new stuff and 15 will work. And it's just because of being better at ditching stuff early on. So I don't try the stuff that okay. I think... Like, I think it's, I'm just better at knowing what works and better at knowing what I how I can tell a joke. But in the early days, I'd go up and there'd be one minute. But if there's one minute out of seven, I'm sure. really happy with that. That's great. Yeah. So that's how I used to write. So I'd go into work early and I'd type and type and type and then I'd happily sit for seven or eight hours while I did something that paid my train fits mm. largely to mm. Lincoln or wherever <laughs> random places but now I'm not I'm not as good as I should be I busk is not the right word I, I do work really hard but I tend to always be making notes mm. um, as soon as sept- especially September is my oh my god I've got to write another show it's, I don't start it in March I start it in September I start mm. making notes in September but it's just constantly making little scribbly notes in notebooks and sending texts to myself. And sometimes if I say something funny, my boyfriend will text me the, the th- funny thing that I said. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't... He, I think it's all about harnessing it. Because it's quite easy to go, I'll write that down later on. And of course, what happens later on? It's gone, yeah. it's gone, yeah, it's totally, gone. Totally, and no matter, no matter how long you've been doing this, this still, still goes. I don't think I'm any better at retaining information now as I was then. So I still have to scribble it down. One, one, of, the, uh, one of the questions that someone tweeted was, uh, if you think of an idea during sex, do you trust it to memory? Or do you stop and then make a little note? You don't have to answer that, but I can see from your face what the answer is. Depends which bit of the sex. (laughs) I think... I think it's totally fine to pause during foreplay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good, good. There we go. That's an answer. That's... uh... It is, but I think... Funny ideas don't happen during the the main... The main crux. Yeah. Because... I'm not really thinking about funny thoughts. If I am, that's a bad relationship, isn't it? And I'm, so I'm not. I'm, but if, it, if something occurs to me early, early doors, <laughs> I will make a note of it. Maybe you could just. I don't know. This is. You might have to edit this out. <laughs> Maybe you could just ask a <laughs> if, <you're gonna laughs> if you could just. It's all I want. That no, I, th- um, I thought you were going to say something like maybe you could just write it on his back. Oh, no. But no, <laughs> but no, 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 it was much worse than that. Sorry, <laughs> um, I'm quite rude. Um, so, so I make notes constantly. Yeah, and, and, when, and when you're making those notes, are you just show you? Should I show you? An yeah, yeah, absolutely, brilliant. Let's have a look. But are you turning them into jokes at that time, or is September just krill? Just get all the stuff. Well, f- f- just it's not even just September. It's uh, pretty much twelve months of the year. I make little notes. Um, so I've got a little notebook here, um, and what they'll be is some enough that will remind me of a story or mm-hmm. an idea. So it might just be three words, but they won't necessarily. It won't be a sentence. It might just be three words, and those three words remind me of that thing that I said about the thing that actually made me laugh. Because gotcha. it has to make me laugh. Because if it doesn't make me laugh, I've got nowhere to go. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you give us an example? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I was talking to my mum on the phone. My mum and dad are on holiday. And I was talking to my mum on the phone. And you know how sometimes when you're on the phone to somebody, but there's somebody else in the room, 
you sometimes say things to them. So you'll sort of, I'll be, yeah. say, if, say if I answered my phone now, I'll be talking to them, but then you might say, oh, can I get something out of the fridge? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, it's fine. But then yeah. I'm still talking to, I was talking to my mum and my dad was in the background and my mum just said, not with that hand, you won't. And I just have no idea why that made me laugh so much. I don't want to know what that's linked to because my mind is already yeah. working overtime. So I don't know if that'll end up, but I've just written down, not with that hand, dash mum. Okay, and that so, then, me of that. so let's follow that idea then. What what do you do next to that bit? Do you sit and write around it? Do you just take it on stage and say it and improvise you around see, it? I one of your, I think it was your Ben Norris podcast. I was very interested when you said, I think it was you that said it rather than Ben, that sometimes by um, sort of vocalise, verbalising an idea, you it's more funny things come out of telling somebody about it than writing it down. Yeah. Yeah, you said that, didn't I think you? So, yeah. so if I write that down and try and write a joke around it, it's not as easy than if I just talk about it to somebody. Or, I don't know, if maybe it doesn't even need the person. Maybe I just should do it in the flat on my own. But I tend to... That'll stay there until I've got a new material night. All that notes will stay. And then on the new material day, I will shit myself all day and write for, like, two hours literally pulling together all of these little bits mm-hmm. and typing them all up and actually going right what we got and not not having any idea still not can't time it still have no idea and if will you be is... typing up just those three words or will you be typing up probably, the story out well typing up probably just what i often use is index cards because i the reason i use index cards is when i start when i do new material if it's on paper it rattles because i'm nervous yeah okay. but if i use cardboard it's like someday I'll use, like, wood. It <laughs> gets gradually thicker. I'll just be there with a slate with my jokes on it. And I will probably write that, what I've written in my notepad, yeah. on the slate. On the, on the slate. On the slate. Well, think of them as the slates from now on. It's Millican's second law of uh, <laughs> On the index card. So yeah. I'll write that on the index card. And then I will leave a, a little gap. And then I'll write the next one. And then leave a little gap. And then I'll write the next one. And then while I'm backstage, I'll sort of try and add extra bits, extra more, like words that might okay. spark off. And do you do you feel that what that suggests to me, and this might be the thing that I'm putting on it, but I find the pressure of a gig, like the pressure of telling a human being, activates your mind in a different yes. way. So you're yeah. actually coming up with more things and than you could do if you were just sat in your... Exactly. Flat. On my own, just typing. Mm. Um and I don't know if it's the better way of working, but it seems it seems to be working. So, mm. you know, it seems to work now. Um, and what normally happens at a new material night is if I do what I think is the punchline and they don't laugh, I naturally improvise an alternative punchline. Yeah. Because I don't like that bit when they go, oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like that bit. So I have to make sure that I'm fully rested before I try new material. I have to make sure that I've eaten properly and I've drunk water and I've slept well. Because if I go up, I did, I did, and I, did, I always do my first Edinburgh preview in February at the Leicester Comedy Festival mm. because it makes me panic. Because it's February and I go, I've only got 20 minutes. And then I go, it's February, I've got 20 minutes, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do a full it's hour. It's all mental games with yourself, isn't it? It to is, go, it yeah, is. Okay. To trick yourself into, this is fine. So if I, I know exactly where I am in February, so I know either, oh God, I'm going to have to haul ass and get loads of work done, or I'm, actually, this is coming along at a mm. nice pace. I did an Edinburgh preview in Leicester a couple of years ago when I had the most chronic toothache. I've never really been a, a, a big sufferer of toothache, but I had the most horrific, horrific toothache, toothache. I'd had some work done in it. This is by the by. But basically, as I found out later on, I needed three lots of root canal while I was going through this pain. Oh, my God. And I was on a lot of painkillers and also 
this gel that you rub on your gums when you're teething. Right, this is... Okay. So I was rubbing it on and going on stage, sometimes in tears before the gig because it was so awful. And I had this new material like, in the middle of it all. I remember booking myself into a hotel in Leicester. I only live in Manchester. That's a drive. That's an mm. easy drive. I would never... Booked myself in the hotel because I needed to get in and just calm down because I was in uh, tense and in agony. And I... I remember being at five to eight. The gig was a two-minute walk from from there. I, at five to eight, I was still curled up in, like, the fetal position mm. in this pain. Went long, did the gig. And every time I did a joke, that didn't work. And they went, now. I went, OK, number four. Because I had nothing. Yeah. I had nothing else. To, yes, no I see. You weren't, you weren't overreaching. And this is yeah, why okay. I have to make sure that I'm well-rested and I've slept yes. and, I'm, you know, and I've eaten properly and I've looked after myself because that's when I'm funny. It's like whenever I do a TV thing... If it's a case of I've got five hours to do prep for this, do I do five hours or do I do four hours and have an extra hour sleep? So always the extra hour sleep because I will okay. be a lot of the stuff that I'll see in a panel show is off the cuff and off banter off other people mm. and what they've said. And I have to be fully rested in order for that part of my brain to kick in. Sure. So I could do five hours of prep for a panel show or three hours and have an extra two hours sleep. And that's much more beneficial because I won't have as much stuff on paper, but I'll have a better functioning you, brain. Yes. OK. So that's when I do it. So it'll go. So then I record, always record my new material nights. Always okay. record them. Yeah. Um, and, and you always listen to the recordings? Not always. No? Okay. <laughs> when, when you do 28 previews and sometimes it's four in a week, it's hard to I listen know, to another hour because yeah. you can't listen while you're driving because you've got to make notes of it. But I, what I often do as well is, is recording it. Is, you're recording it really in case anything amazing happened that you can't remember. But often if you make notes as soon as you come off, yeah. then uh, you get most of it down. And I sometimes make notes as I go. It's really rude, but... Uh, but if they know it's a new material night and they're yeah. not paying anything to say anybody, yeah, then sure. you don't mind. And I'll just make, and it might just be one word where I've thought of an extra top row or whatever. But I do sometimes listen, especially if it's 10 minutes. If it's 10 minute new material, I'll listen to that easy. But mm. if it's an hour, sometimes it's hard to, to fit it in. Um, and then it's very rare that my jokes get typed up in full now because mm. then that goes from, that goes into an hour show or an, a two hour show or whatever, an hour and a half show. And it'll still just be, that'll still be hand ma'am that'll be known yes, as okay, on yeah. my big full list yeah. of jokes. So I sort of kind of write on stage now compared mm. to I used to write and fully form a joke and it would be word for word and then I would read it off mm. and then it would work or it wouldn't work. And I kind of go on with a rough idea of what it is. Yeah. And by describing it and talking around it, around an idea, I usually get five or six more punchlines off the back of it. And sure. it's really effective. But I think that's just because I'm better on stage than I used to be. Mm. I think, because I always think that's, well, all comics can be divided into writers who perform or performers who write. Mm -hmm. I was always a writer who performed. I think there's only, I think I was going to say Kitson, but Kitson's still a writer who performs. Mm. I think all comics can be divided. So it was always the performance that was always the hard thing that I had to bring up to the level of my writing. Because I've been writing since I was 17 in one kind or another, local newspaper columns or short films or whatever. So, and then I think the people who are amazingly funny performers need to crack on with their writing yeah. to bring that up to the level of their performance. So, I've never really worried about my writing so much as my performance. The writing's always, it's not come naturally, oh, it's really cocky to say that, but it is something I find easier than yes. standing on a stage is always the bit that makes me slightly uncomfortable. Okay, okay. Is that weird? Yes, no, not at all. I, I think that's, that's probably very true. 
about the different types of performer there are. I mean, rather like in uh, my first uh, show with Rob Deering, the first interview mm. I did, when he was talking about, you know, he said, in a week I normally won't do any writing. I won't sit down and do any writing. Yeah. And I started imagining this kind of halcyon future of going, oh, imagine I wouldn't stress out during the day. And I would like, I love writing, but I spend most of my day putting off writing. And that makes me anxious and unhappy. We and now I, I, so it makes me feel like what you do is... You might not get up and write for your stand-up in the day, but if you've done the rest of the work at the other times, you've done all of the note-taking, you've done all of the thinking about yes. the notes, you've done all of the prep on the way to the gig, you've done the gig as often as possible, and you do the, the work after the gig making the notes, yeah. I kind of find that I get stressed during the day, I eventually do the writing, and then I go to the gig, I do the stuff, it works or it doesn't, and then I go, oh, I've been working all day, I'll relax now. Yes, so I'm sort of, sort of, un- sort of always slightly writing if that yes, makes sense because yes. if anything funny happens or if I say anything funny or if I have a funny idea or if I read a bit in a newspaper and I think oh that, that could make that work into a joke or whatever I make a little note of it so it's always constantly there but I very rarely it's only if I'm writing a script and mm. that is when I'm an absolute bitch I am such a horrible person when I'm writing a script I get tense I cry I scream I'm a horrible horrible person and that's because you're faced with the tyranny of the blank page yeah. and having to fill it and so all of your systems are out the window and, and because you just must minute, do it yeah. I've, I've written scripts that have to be performed the next day mm. for a recording. I've written them that day for the next day. Mm. I've stayed up. <laughs> I went through some horrible times on the first tour. When I... I did a gig in uh, Norwich. No, I did a gig in Aberdeen. I flew from Aberdeen to Norwich to do Frank Skinner's Opinionated. Mm. And then I stayed up all night and then got to, to write my script, got a train to London to record the script. I have not gone to bed, got a train to London, vomited on the train, and the BBC, uh, the, my producer said, we'll get you somewhere, we can have a lie down. So I had to lie down for an hour, mm. and then I did the recording. And I never want to... So when I'm on tour, I try not to have any writing projects hanging over me, because that is horrific, to be doing a tour show, then flying then and not getting much sleep that night flying and then writing all day and then doing a, a tv record yeah. and then and i did everything to the best as i as i possibly could for where i was at that's why i don't like taking writing projects on because i know what i get like and i know it's better if i just go right we're going to write for a month and that's all we're going to do we're not going to do any shows in the evening we're yes, just going to okay. write for the month yeah. because it's too i find writing much more stressful than than performing Okay. actually feel my stomach knotting at the thought of having to sit down and write. Yes. Um, so do you think now you're a performer who writes? It's kind of shifted because now you're that comfortable on no, stage. No, I just... But I, I, I still write, but I just scribble constantly. Yeah. And I think... It, I find it much easier. It means when it comes to, like, February to do, like, the Leicester Comedy Festival, I quite easily have an hour. It's not an hour of good stuff, but it's an hour of stuff. Yeah. And... I, I sort of feel like I've, I have this romantic idea. I think it's because I used to write plays and and I wanted to be a film director and I wanted to write film scripts. I have this romantic idea of sitting in cafes and writing. Mm. I have a few friends who do that and I'm very jealous of them. And I think I need to find a cafe that I can sit and write and just have like tea and milkshakes. And mm. But I don't know how much work you get done there. Yes, uh, Adam having, says you have to you have to cafe hop. 
So you have to go from one to another to another to another to another. So you're always in a new place with new stimulation. Oh, okay, that's interesting. But I do. That's something I want to do over the next few months when my diary's not as busy is sit in cafes and write because it's this this romantic idea of that's you know that's where ideas come from when they don't they come from my ideas come from me living Mm. a bit of a normal life and seeing my friends. Yeah. Because sometimes my the only funny ideas I have are you know related to dressing rooms. Or, <laughs> yes, or, well, this is it. This is a hotels. common problem, isn't and it? I, yeah. You know, I, I, I believe in staying in nice hotels when you can afford it, and mm. I can afford it. I've worked really hard. I've stayed on many a sofa. I've stayed in many a travel lodge, and now I can afford a nice hotel. And I think it's more important to treat yourself really well and to make sure that you've slept well and you do a good job yeah. because potentially 2,000 people have paid 20 quid a year ago. Yeah. I can't be shit tonight. Yes. So I make sure that I sleep well and that I have a tour manager now, which I didn't, I only had for the second half of the first tour. So I don't do any driving. And it is a very, it's hard because you're away from home for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard in that you never really settle anywhere, you never really unpack. But it's not, it's much easier than it was when I was doing driving for six hours, doing a two hour show and then driving for six hours. Sure. It's much easier than that. And I'm very lucky to be able to afford all of that sort of thing. But I sort of, I kind of miss the, oh, I'm stuck somewhere for six hours. I go and sit in a cafe and write because yes. I don't, I'm never stuck anywhere now. No, and I sort okay. of miss that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I miss the romantic idea of what a writer is, probably more what a poet is. I don't want to be a poet, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that idea of that, um, oh, you know, I can't afford my heating, so I'll go and sit in a cafe. Yes. You know, where yes. realistically I can sit in my flat and write here just as well. But I just, I kind of, I want to sit in a cafe and write. It's ridiculous. Talking about the, um, the way you write the, the, the system for putting things in the notebook and then getting them onto yes. the page. It seems like a, a kind of a reactive system. Things happen, you make yeah. a note. I, I do very... you ever try and, and I know you don't write theme shows anymore, but no. do you ever pick a subject and go, right, I'm going to do that? No, and I want to, I really want to, because I've, the last two shows I've done by just gathering. So it's yes. gathering, if I say something funny or I say something funny or I say something to somebody, one of my friends and they say something funny and then we have a bit of banter and it's good if your friends are comedians because then you can go can I have that well, yeah. if they're comedians we have to tussle yeah yeah <laughs> okay. um and uh and if I have conversations with my family my family are generally hilarious uh so that works or if funny things happen to me or I think of funny things but generally I don't sit down and go I'm gonna write some stuff about dogs I sure. don't know if I can do that I must be able to because when I do panel shows or when I do uh, when we did the TV series, you're writing to a subject, which I'd never done before. Mm. I'd never written to a subject. And I found it quite a good... It's quite stimulating, but also quite a good um, sort of pressure to put yourself under, to go, I have to write some jokes about costume drama or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, where normally I just go, oh, that's a funny thing that my dad said. I'll say that. And, that, sure. you know, and I'll, I'll write around it and I'll funny him up, although yeah. he is normally really funny, but sometimes yeah. he goes, oh, I was really funny in that thing. And you think, yeah, I did tweak it, Dad. But yeah, yeah, I did put eight <laughs> tags on top yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did some work. Yeah. Um, but I really want to sit down and, and have an idea rather than a joke. I've always got a punchline mm-hmm. and I work around the punchline. But mm. what I'd like to do is go, I'd like to write some stuff about the fact that, uh, for example, I don't want children. I've written some stuff about that, but maybe the fact that I... Because I think it's one of the final taboos to stand mm. on stage as a woman in her 30s and say, I don't want children. So not, mm. not that I can't have them, but that I don't want them. I, I think you can, you can get away with jokes about anything as long as you're coming at it from the right angle. So you don't write... 
misogynistic or racist or homophobic jokes but you can write jokes about those things yes. that as long as they're coming in from a good angle from a good as yeah. in good as in I don't mean good as in not uh, not a bad joke I mean good as in uh, wholesome yes in a way yes. um, you can uh, honest and, and uh, from a, the viewpoint of a nice person I suppose an honourable person you can write jokes about anything but I think still when I say on stage somebody I said I don't want kids um I don't really like kids. And somebody booed in a tour show. Somebody, one Ooh. man. But it's quite... Okay. Uh, the confidence of a man who boos, assuming that everybody's going to follow suit and they all don't, is yeah. quite funny in itself. <laughs> boo! A boo on its own isn't scary. But no. it did make me think... I wasn't going to do some slightly harsher stuff about kids. And I thought, well, you've just made me want to do that. Yeah, right, absolutely. So I brought out all the big guns. You know, people will be strategically booing now. When you do something a bit edgy, let's get get it fired up. (laughs) It really does. As soon as somebody says, I don't think you're right, Mm -hmm. like there's something wrong with me because I don't want kids, that makes me go, all right, okay. Well, it's, you know, because there's a lot of people who think like me. So so I need to write more to order a little bit. And I need to sit down a bit more and write a bit more. And I need to do it in cafes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good plan. That's that's why a good plan. I, I'm because I like eating, so why not do kill two birds with one stone? <laughs> <laughs> Which circuit comics, when you were still on the circuit, inspired you? Which people did you see and think? Of course, the question I'd really like to ask is, which ones did you hate? But that's another time. I'll that in the car. <laughs> yeah. Um, but which ones did you, inspired you in terms of either their work ethic or their their approach to the gig or the stuff they were doing or their courage or something? I like to watch comics who could play a hard room without any tricks. Now, uh, every you know, we all have sort of bankers and whatnot but some you know some weekend clubs employ people who are not just straight stand-ups so they use they are they are funny and they work very hard Mm. but they might also um uh, do music or they might do or they might have a cd back and track where they do a bit Mm. of funny stuff to it and they're often quite crowd pleasing stuff that are massively effective Mm. and you can't blame them at all because they mm. they work brilliantly in those rooms. Or some people do sort of magic-y stuff and, you know, and, and everywhere has its place. But I am impressed by those who just used words, who could control a room that I would look and go, this is going to be really hard. And thank God I'm only opening a middle end mm. because by the time the closer goes on, they're going to be shit-faced. Mm. And they would just use words. And I was always impressed by the bottle of those people. Sean Collins, for example, I saw close a really rowdy jungler sitting on a fucking stool. Yeah. <laughs> what was yeah. that? Yeah. The confidence of the Isn't man. Isn't it great? And it's slow. His love, I love his accent. He's got a lovely slow sort of laconic delivery mm. and had them in the palm of his hand. And mm. it was really impressive. Um, I did a weekend, a whole week of uh, Edinburgh uh, weekend clubs at Christmas like the uh, sort of rowdy Christmas gigs and you know the Christmas is a horrible time for comedians because it's all Christmas parties where two of them have gone let's go to comedy and the other 88 have been drugged a lot (laughs) and I've seen people get you know um, bread rolls thrown at them 
Jesus. you know, or you, it's when you come out and you see they've all got the party hats on and they've all got their those party things that curl up the end where they're called and you think, oh, this is going to be horrible. And then somebody comes in and says, everybody just do 15s. And you all go, yay! <laughs> I once instigated that. I once, said, I once said to the show manager, it's looking, you know, we're starting late, it's looking Can rowdy. I guess, be, yeah. I guess you want us just to do 15s. And it was quite a new um, yeah. show manager who went, good idea. And as he left, the, all the other comics high five. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and Craig Campbell was closing all week, mm. and he was. There was actually the hardest night. He didn't have um, anywhere near as hard a time as the rest of us because the uh, uh, I would say two thirds to three quarters of the audience were from one company, mm. and uh, they were rowdy and weren't listening, and they were a horrible audience. And the security staff couldn't. There were too many for the security mm. staff to get rid of them all. So what they did was they waited until anybody went to the loo and they just didn't let them back in. Oh, so, very good. And because they were drinking... I thought this, was gonna, this story was going to end with and the, what Craig Campbell was doing is he's a one-man security <laughs> team. They just they kept... So that they, two, two blokes or women mm. would go to the loo hammered because they were drinking so much they were going to the loo quite a lot and just they just keep the, kicked them out. Mm. So gradually, by the time Craig went on, actually, on this particular <laughs> night, there was a third of the room full but of lovely people who lovely. wanted to come to the cup. So on that night, he had a nice time. But the rest of the week, because um, I remember that night... Um, Simon Bly was in the middle and I, I was opening and he came over to me in an adorable uh, sort of fatherly kind of way even though there's probably only 10 years between us and said do you want me to go on first and I said I just want to get the fucker out of the way <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I course. thought it's, this isn't going to get better as the night goes on I'm going to have this probably the easiest job and and it, as it turns out they'd all gone by the time mm. the break was so mm. Craig Campbell had these but Craig for the, the whole week with nothing but words just was amazing at at Christmas gigs at horrible horrible Christmas gigs where they're talking and they're eating and they don't really want you to be there uh, and, and do you a- remember what it was what aspect that it was I mean I know he's doing a million different things at once but what do you think it was that that made that experience work so much that it's made just it so experience and knowing which joke you start on to make them go oh mm-hmm. rather than make them go oh you know I think it's just experience. It's just he probably didn't enjoy it any more than I enjoyed mine because no. he was foot on the gas probably all the way through. Sure. You know, you can't leave a gap because that's when somebody pops up their head up. I always think they're a little bit like um, like the meerkats because they just pop their head up. I did one once where, um, oh God, it was one of those gigs where you think if I trip over a word at any mm. point during mm. this, that somebody's they're gonna they're fucking gonna have eat, me. Eat you alive, and as I was busy thinking that, I tripped over a word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Concentrate on the job in hand, Milliken. And I tripped over a word and all I said was, Oh, that'll be all those cocks I've been sucking and everybody went and back down again. <laughs> Thank God for that. So um who else? Um uh, Gavin Webster I think is very good. Yeah. Um it was, I think it was all the headliners while I was doing supports and opening and middle and all of the headliners because you look and you go, I'll never be as good as that. I remember mm. doing, I died once at, this has just become a podcast all about my deaths, but I died once at uh, Leicester, a gig in Leicester. When I was opening, Tom Steed was in the middle yeah. and Jim Jeffries was closing. Wow. I died. Tom Stade struggled for his first 10 to 12 minutes and yeah. then got them and then they were okay for him. And you know yeah. how good Tom Stade is. He's awesome. And then Jim Jeffries properly won them over and it was a real... There was one woman in the audience who had decided she wasn't... She decided she wasn't going to like him and he... It didn't bully her at all, but just was determined. You could see he was determined to make her laugh. And by the end, she was pissing herself. And it was just a really skillful job that he did. And I liked watching people nailing an easy room 
is you sort of come off and go brilliant yeah. that was great I feel yeah, great yeah. I'm funny hooray I'm good at my job but nailing it turning a room around yes. from they hate me or they're not listening or you know to this is now a playable room like sometimes you know you go on first or maybe because I don't really compare but you know when you compare you go on and you make it a playable room from an unplayable room and that feels like you've really done a good job mm. you've worked your arse off and you've made it a playable room for the rest of the night I think I think that's one of the skills What kind of comic did you think you'd be when you started out? Did you have you turned into the sort of comic you anticipated being? Because I, I think I think you've. Well, I won't say what I think. I'll let you answer that. Question. I think I've softened. Uh, I was harsher in the beginning. My first my first gig that I ever did ended up, ended with a joke that I wouldn't do now. Couldn't get away with it now. Can you, can you tell us what the joke was? No. Can you? <laughs> Possibly tell you the joke. Um, it was very harsh. And I think I remember it. I remember the existence of a harsh joke, but I can't remember the Oh, one. there was a few. Yeah. <laughs> I think... I can't... I can't... I don't know if I have become a comic that is just a bit more accessible and a bit more public-friendly because I wanted to be that or because I've just aged and mm. have realised that you can... I don't I don't mind offending a whole room, but I don't want to offend one person. So if I do a joke about something mean about kids and there's somebody in the audience who's lost a child, I would be mortified that the thought that I had offended them. But I'll quite easily do a joke that makes the, something about spunk or something it makes the whole room go oh, oh I can't believe she said that happy to do that yeah but for one person to feel horrible in that room is not my job mm. everybody should feel nice um so I think I've got older and maybe that's why I'm not as I've got a bit of an edge I can still like I quite liked on the series when I was interviewing I quite liked being a little bit mean to the guests because it was always in a cheeky way but I could mm. be quite mm. sort of sharp and um, sort of bitchy's not the right word but a little bit catty maybe um, and because I'm a nice person and because I think they knew that it was coming from a nice place they yeah. all sort of and also we always had guests on who were willing to go along with the ride and, and knew that it was a comedy show it's not a chat show um, but I think I've become the comic that I don't know what I wanted to be I think I just wanted to be, I wanted it to be my job. So I guess I have become the comic because it is my job, but I'm not as uh, edgy as I used to be. I was never really that edgy, but I did have a bit of a sharpness about me and I don't think that's there anymore. And I think that's uh, been a, I think it's been an organic change. I think Mm. the same as how some people start off one way and gradually fall into whatever they end up being. I think you find out who you are by doing it a lot, but I don't, I think when you play to so many people, be it on a telly where there's millions watching, or be it in a, with an audience with a few thousand, I just I don't want anybody to go away feeling like they've been attacked. And I think if you do a joke, I don't know because in one of a couple of shows ago, I had a rape joke that was right in the middle of the show, 
but it's about the angle that you come in at and it was actually quite a soft angle it was quite a feminist angle and nobody batted an eyelid nobody I never got a complaint I never got a message from anybody mm. so that trick is if you're going to have a terrible horrific joke put it in the middle because you can back it up by another joke between two stuff about cakes because yeah, if you, yeah if you if you finish on it people might leave going oh well I liked the first 55 minutes but that last one and it colours their whole yes, of perception course. of what the show has been yes. like but you, you they can't the walk out whistling a rape joke <laughs> can they no um but you see, the thing is about the cakes thing. I've written like four jokes ever about cake, but because they were the ones that were on the telly, sure. you know, I think, you know, people do that. Um, if you could yes. write a letter to your 40 or 12 year old self, what you do, you'd write. And some people would say, don't fall in love with that man or work harder at school. I would say, you're going to be a comic. Don't write any jokes about fucking cake. Because- <laughs> I saw you flinch when I mentioned that. And I'm afraid it's just because I received 30 tweets today about cake. Yeah. But in the same way that Joe Brand was pilloried yeah. for jokes about periods and tampons, you, on they the pick up, of very, people pick up on one thing they pick up one thing yeah. which reminds me I always used to call you periods Millican to watch <laughs> you up because <laughs> <laughs> I did so many jokes because you did so many jokes yeah. somebody That's once collared me and said I love your period joke and I said I don't have any period jokes yeah. and he said oh you know you did and I was get me mixed up with somebody else you just because I'm a woman he went oh she's probably got period jokes periods aren't funny That's why I'm going to period jokes um, so I don't mm, I'd like to think that I've just evolved into the comic that I am because I've aged and I just don't want to offend anybody. But maybe I've softened. It's one or the other. It's, it's yeah. either that or I've softened because of the way that uh, a, sort of a mass audience uh, mm. makes you behave that way. Because you don't want you want every. I, I don't want everybody to like me. I don't. I wouldn't stop being rude, for example. Sure. You can't really be as rude on the telly. But I'm a little bit rude on the telly. But you can't. I wouldn't stop because I don't. You know because oh, five year olds have to be my fans. No. I'm not bothered about five year olds being my fans. It's comedy. It's for adults. So I'm not really bothered. The last thing I was going to ask was if the old plan was to be able to play any room in the country, if that was the goal that you started mm. with, and you said to a certain extent you've you went some way towards completing that, or maybe superseded that being a necessary part of the plan. What's the new plan at the moment? Now that you are a lady who has fingers in many pies, who has all sorts of TV and writing and radio and touring opportunities, you strike me as the sort of person who will somewhere have a mission statement either written down or at the back of your mind. What do you want to do? I think it's it's less a sort of five-year plan of I want to be sure. on series six by then or, you know, I want to always be good. Because I, somebody said to me, who shall definitely remain nameless, that... Until um, after I turn this machine off. When you're <laughs> successful, it doesn't have to be as good because they come anyway. Yeah. But I, yeah, they might come to this one, but then they might not come to the one after that oh, if this yeah. one is shit. Yeah. So... I want to always be good because I think just because you're popular doesn't mean you can't be good. Popular is not the same as good. Yes, popularity isn't the goal, is it? No, popular gets them in the door. Yeah. Popular, popularity gets them in the door. Uh, quality makes them come back again. Mm. And because you go into bigger and bigger rooms each time or you do more and more nights maybe each time because I don't really fancy um, arenas. suits some people, but I don't think it suits me. So this is about working out how many nights we go on tour and maybe that it gets extended with each tour or whatever. Um, so what you need is the people that came to come back and more mm-hmm. each time. So therefore, I can't ever do a show that's not... It's still only my opinion if it's good or not. But I can't ever do a show that I'm not really proud of because that might be the beginning of the end. So if everything that I do is as good as it can possibly be, be it TV, be it 
you know, things I do for free that are just for fun or, you know, that are things that sort of use my brain a little bit more or TV spots on different things. I want everything to be as good as it can possibly be and I don't want to ever think that I can slack enough because I think now is the time that you must continue and and if you slack enough, I don't think you deserve it. That was my start rumbling there. <laughs> the rest of you <laughs> Like um, you're still disapproved of what I was saying. Yeah, <laughs> so do you want to still be touring? Do you want to be going out and driving four hours to a gig? And Well, even if you can stay in a nice hotel now, but do you want to still be out and touring every night? And Not every night. At the moment, I've decided, because I did two, two tours uh, like a, a, a year after each other, and I've decided to do every other year now because with Edinburgh and previews, because I do like 20 or 30 previews, it means that I'm on the road 10 months of the year and I am 36 and do not own a plant. Mm. And I quite like to have a bit more of roots, I guess, and maybe a pet and maybe a plant and maybe a big milk in my fridge every now and again rather than a one-pinter. Oh, At God. the end of the tour, that's I the first thing pain. I do is I buy like a four-pinter. I never drink at all because I don't really like milk. <laughs> just have it on me frosties and in me tea I can't drink a glass oh but it's a symbol of the end of a tour is buying yeah. a really big milk yeah I'm so going to be home for a bit if every other year I tour so I'm not touring I've got 12 more dates at the end of this year um, of this tour and then I'll not be touring again until I'm going to do the Edinburgh Festival next year so it means I have between now and then to do we're doing another series of the TV programme and to maybe maybe go to Australia or you know maybe just bits and bobs that are fun and nice to do and a little bit more living at home and uh, I've got a column in a magazine coming up which I can't tell you what it is yet but maybe by the time this goes out I might be able to tell you um so that sort of thing I'm trying to sort of give myself a bit of work that's in a flat that I can do and still earn money because I know there'll be a time when Nobody wants me anymore. When you, they'll be, they'll, it's and it's not me. It's not oh boo hoo. You know, mm. I. It's the make hay while the sun shines. Well, mm. people still find you funny and so on. There'll be a time when they go. Oh, it's just you know, maybe the industry will change or people's uh, sort of um, um, people's taste will change. And I will be just sick of the cake jokes. Endless <laughs> cake jokes. Is this a fifth show about fucking cakes? <laughs> so. Then I still want to have a job, so that's why I do. I write things, and I quite like writing things that I'm not in. I like writing things and sending them off, and somebody else produces them and makes them, and they, you know, like radio stuff and and columns and things that I can do, and will hopefully still be able to continue, while my face is nobody wants to see my face anymore. And that's not. It's not. It's not. I don't think it's defeatist. I think it's realistic yeah. that. I'm not going to be... There's only Joan Rivers and Ken Dodd who are still doing it in their 70s and 80s. Nobody else is still doing it. So the chances of me being one of the two in that time is slim to none. So... I don't know. With your views on the trunk, I can see you trundling on stage up the creek <laughs> in Deptford when you're 75. Calling them all pricks. <laughs> well, I mean, but there might be... It might be that I decide I don't want to do on the road anymore and maybe I want to do yeah. other things instead. But so if the the way I'm lengthening my touring time is by doing it every other year because I think if I did it every year I might only do a few more and then go oh god I can't do it anymore. Sure. Well, if I do it every other year I get a year where I and plus it makes the shows better because the shows are a year and a half in the making instead of being slightly 
shoved out, which they sometimes are. Um, and it means the show can be really, really good. And that is worthy of people's ticket price. You know, I think it's I can't con- really control ticket prices of things very much, but I can control the quality and length of the show. Mm. So the same with the DVD, I, the first DVD, I couldn't really control how much because all of the shops charge whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But I can control the extras and how long the show is. And, you know, so you can control the product, if not necessarily how much people are paying for it. So you can make sure that it's worth the money that, you know, somebody's going to charge for it. So I think the ultimate goal is just to to always be good, no matter what you do, to make sure that you don't let the quality control slip. We did 111 dates on this tour. And in my month break, I made a six part TV series. Oh, my God. And that's why I'm having this month off, because I'm fucked. But it's lovely just seeing friends. And I guess I'm having, you know how a lot of people have two days off a week? Just having them all in a month. (laughs) Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.